Welcome to the Cannabis Cultivation and Science Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Hussey of Kiss Organics. This is the podcast where we discuss the cutting edge of organic growing from a science-based perspective and draw on top experts from around the industry to share their wisdom and knowledge. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, please take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on and leave me a rating and review. This is really helpful and allows me to keep producing good content by drawing more of the top names in the industry to the show. Also sign up for our newsletters on our website at www.kisorganics.com. I send out a newsletter approximately every two weeks, and this is the best way to ensure you know when the next podcast has been released. They also have the latest discounts, new product information, blog posts, and what's happening in the industry. Our guest this week is Suzanne Wainwright-Evans. She is an ornamental entomologist specializing in integrated pest management. Suzanne has been involved in the green industry for more than 25 years with a focus on biological control and using pesticides properly. She is a graduate of the University of Florida with degrees in both entomology and environmental horticulture. She has worked throughout the United States and internationally consulting to greenhouses, nurseries, landscapers, and interior scape companies. She is the owner of Bug Lady Consulting, now in business for over 16 years. If you missed my first interviews with her, I highly suggest you start there. Suzanne reached out again because she wanted to come back on to talk about scouting and other topics that she's noticed have been issues for many cannabis growers on her farm visits. Just a reminder, if you are a large-scale commercial cultivator and are serious about consulting or setting up an integrated pest management program utilizing beneficial insects, I can't recommend her enough. Her website is www.bugladyconsulting.com. If you're a small grower, then I suggest you try to attend one of her upcoming lectures or workshops. We talk about a couple in the show, and I'll have links to them along with other information on the podcast page. Now on to the show. Hey, Suzanne, thanks for coming back on the show. I'm not even sure what we're talking about today. You had reached out saying there was a bunch of stuff you'd uh, come across in the last year since we last chatted on on air and wanted to share it with listeners. So, uh, yeah, take it away. Well, first, thanks for having me back again. And not that I forced you to have me on, but I just thought it would be a good idea to come back and uh, talk about some of the things um, I'm seeing going on as I travel around the country working uh, with cannabis growers um, of all different sizes, um, which is actually good because the other podcasts, you've gotten me in touch with a lot of other um, growers around the country, and we've had some great discussions over some issues. But the, the one of the biggest things I'm finding when I'm actually at when I'm physically at facilities is that growers really don't know how to look to find their pests and to, to know really what's going on. And there's been a lot of assumptions and a lot of guessing. And, you know, it's, it's not as simple as, oh, you can snap a quick picture, throw it up on Facebook and have somebody ID it. Um, growers really need to have a good, solid scouting program that there's there's a system to it so that they can be consistent, they can keep records, and be able to put together a good solid program. Because I am seeing a lot of waste in the sense of people are spraying when they don't need to or even buying biocontrol agents they don't necessarily need or buying the wrong product for uh, the wrong problem out there. So um, one of the things I think that is critical is that everybody's got the right tools in their tool bag. Um, anybody that's had me into their facility will see I carry, you know, I'm a, I have a giant nerd bag I carry. Um, 
I'm not, I'm not quite to wear, wearing a fanny pack yet, but I do have a giant <laughs> fanny pack. But and it's really convenient. I mean, you, as much as, you know, they could be completely nerdy, it's so convenient because you do need to have your hands free while you're out looking for pests. And I, I honestly, I'm, I'm really shocked and surprised how many uh, facilities I go into and the people that are in charge of finding pests don't even have a hand lens, just a basic 10X hand lens. And that's something everybody can afford, um, and that's something everybody should have. And actually, you should have almost all your staff or, you know, whomever is in your facility having them so that they can actually look and see what's going on. Um, I think that's, that's really critical because I'm sure you carry a hand lens, right? Oh, yeah. I always carry a hand lens when I go somewhere. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> There well, you I mean, go. In, into a, a growing situation, of course. Yeah. No, I totally agree yeah. with you. And they're, they are. They're cheap. You can get them on eBay or Amazon, uh, something, usually under 10 bucks. I got one free at a trade show at the Advanced Nutrients booth, which is the only Advanced Nutrients thing I will ever <laughs> have or use. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I, t- I know um, BioBest often gives them away for free. Um, like at, you know, we did that uh, all day insect ID workshop uh, at Cultivate a couple weeks ago. And uh, I talked to BioBest, and they provided hand lenses and lanyards for everybody that came to the workshop. So they often have them. Um, sometimes BASF has them. And as a side little plug, that's like the only thing I saw on my website. But I'm not promoting myself at all. But if you can't find them or get one for free, I, I do sell on my website. Not, not necessarily to make money off of them, but it's because I was tired of growers having an excuse of, well, I can't find them. Well, now growers don't have an excuse. You know, and the one I carry, um, just because I'm a, I'm a little more mature in my age than you youngins, um, it has um, an LED light in it. So if you're in a, a darker growing situation or if you're down into the plant canopy, that LED light in there actually really helps. Back in my, my youthful days when I was like 20, I could actually, you know, see a lot of stuff without hand lenses. Now that I'm, you know, creeping up on 50, yeah, that's uh those days are gone, and having that extra light in there can really help. And you want minimum 10x magnification. Um, you can get some up to like 30x with just, you know, the, the traditional handheld loop, but they can be very hard to use. I, I think the best thing to do is to use like a 10, maybe 15x out in the field. Then when you find a problem, I like to snip a leaf, put it in a bag, label it where it is, and I take it to the office or wherever, you know, there's a desk. And then is when I bring out the Dynalite, which, again, if you don't own a Dynalite, I don't want to call you, you know, stupid, but it is one of the best investments you can make because you can take really good pictures with it. Um, And that way you can zoom in better, get more refined pictures to be able to send because people – especially on Instagram. You got to stop sending me cell phone quick snaps on Instagram. You cannot zoom in on pictures when you private message somebody. It's nearly impossible for me to help you. If you want people to help you with your ID, you need to get a good picture with something Dynalite and then email it so I can take it and I can zoom in or other people can zoom in. Instagram is one of the worst social media platforms for using photos for diagnosis because of its lack of manipulating images. You know, even on Facebook, you can download the image and zoom in. But again, when you upload images, you do lose quality. And that's why emailing is one of the better ways to do it. Texting is maybe second. But again, because of of 
of, of the data compression to make images smaller to save on data, texting often reduces file size. And when I need to get in there and look at, you know, tiny little hairs and tiny little parts, you know, I need to have as big an image as you can get me. And, you know, it may seem expensive spending $150 or $300 on a Dynalite, but if it, if it saves a plant or saves a couple plants, you know, or saves you from having to buy in a pesticide or even some bios, it's paid for itself. Um, it's an incredibly useful tool, and I recommend that everybody um, have one. Um, and I, I, Tad, aren't, aren't you making them available now? Yeah, I followed your recommendation. I went out and got myself a Dynalite. I think it was in the $300 range and uh, tried that out and then also contacted the company. And now on our website, I offer a few options, sort of a, a good, better, best from what sort of they recommended and also my conversations with you. But uh, I have to say the Dynalite is great. It's very easy to use. Uh, the quality of the image is, is amazing. We were looking at our the pores of our skin and other things around the around the house with it um, just because I didn't have any bugs handy to take a peek at. But um, I'm, I'm excited to get it out into some uh, grow operations and actually look at some insects. Yeah, and you can not only use it with your computer through USB, you can get like a $2, $3 uh, connector, uh, USB converter um, on Amazon or wherever else, and you can connect it to your smartphone or your tablet. And uh, the software is uh, super easy to use. You know, there, there have been precursors to this. There was like the IPM scope, but the IPM scope was extremely difficult to use, having to manually go into the settings of your computer and change things uh, to, to make it work, where, I mean, I think the Dynalite is pretty much idiot-proof. It's just plug-and-play, and, play, and I, I use it all the time. So, you know, that's another thing. That's really important. Um, and so, you know, I talked about putting things in bags. You know, having, you know, little Ziploc baggies to put samples in is uh, a, a really important because you just don't want to, you know, if you suspect something has a problem, you don't want to carry it around through your different rooms or near other plants. You want to quarantine it immediately because I do think that one of the, the big issues that's happening in cannabis is just self-contamination where people, you know, will go in in the morning and they want to go see their pest problems and, and what's going on. And so they start in the dirtiest part of the facility and then end up in the cleanest part later in the day. And now you've just spread the problem. And if you're carrying around open exposed plant cuttings, you can do that. So when you're scouting, you always want to start with the cleanest part of the facility and then work your way to the dirtiest through the day. And put samples in bags. I think it's good to carry irrigation flags. Um, so that way, if you find a problem, you can stick a flag in a pot. And that way, if you do do a treatment, you can come back and check that exact plant to make sure it worked. It also will allow other people uh, at the facility to know, um, you know, if there's a problem. So, oh, you know, this, this orange-colored flag means there's a mite issue, so we know it's here. Oh, here we know, you know, there's a disease issue because you've got a striped flag. And that will help people know because if you say, oh, go back into house two, bench three, and go find the, the hemp russet mites, that's going to take somebody else a bunch of time. But if the, the, the tags are flagged, um, you know, that, uh, I'm sorry, the plants are flagged, the plants are tagged with flags, then they're easy to find. So that's another critical tool to have. You can also use uh, flagging tape, um, or you can come up with some other system, but irrigation flags come in lots of colors. They're inexpensive to use um, and are readily available. So that's another 
good thing I've found. And then, I mean, of course, having your phone with you to take overall shots is pretty important. But again, the quality of the images for identifying insect issues, it's, it's really hard. And I see a lot of people guessing um, on what problems are due to these overview shots. And, I, you know, I don't like to guess. I, I want to see actual images. I want to be able to count legs. I want to look at antenna to make sure that uh, we're getting the right diagnosis because nobody wants to waste money um, or use an ineffective treatment on that. So I think, you know, those kinds of things are pretty important. Another thing that's not as important, but I, again, it's worth every penny, is, you know, an infrared thermometer gun to know what your temperatures really are in your plant canopies, not just your air temperature. Um, and that way, when you're making decisions on biocontrol agents, you really know what, what kind of temperatures you're running inside the plants and not just in the air. Because you can find some pretty significant differences depending on plant canopy, leaf size, color of the plant. There's a lot of variables um, that are in there uh, when um, you, you start looking at that. And again, it can make a difference on what biocontrol you're going to select. Um, the other thing that, I mean, it's, I, I don't know, it's kind of exciting for me to show growers this, and they get so excited when you show them for the first time, and it's so simple, and it's something, again, we've done in ornamentals and vegetables for years, is just to take a white board. I mean, you could even use a sheet of paper, but I think white boards work the best, and just put it next to your plant and then bang your leaves on it, and things like thrips and mites, not necessarily hemp rust, it might are broad mite because they're too small to see with the naked eye, but things like uh, two-spotted spider mites, uh, thrips, aphids, they'll just fall out because when I, I go into facilities and people are, you know, scouting, they're taking a leaf and flipping it, and they're taking a leaf and flipping it. First of all, that takes too much time, and your chances of finding stuff's pretty slim. You take this white board, you hold it up next to the plant, bang the leaves on it, um, and stuff falls right out because I was in one facility recently and they were flipping leaves looking for thrips and couldn't find them. As soon as we banged them on a board, thrips just came raining out. Um, so that's an easy way that, I mean, and again, pretty standard practice uh, in, in agriculture to find uh, where the pests are. So I think that's, you know, a pretty important tool there to uh, – to have and to use. I carry a small one in my, uh, my nerd bag um, when I'm out in the field. Um, one of the things you can also use is the lid of the styrofoam cooler from the shipping from the biocontrol agents. Save those lids. They make really good uh, bang boards out there for when you're, you're scouting. Now, when you say a bang board, now you're talking about a, a relatively thin piece of, of cardboard or wood yes that's just painted white i, I don't want picture people going no. out with a two by four trying to like hit no no <laughs> it, it, again it. um i you can use a white painter's palette that's that thin white plastic you can use a white notepad but the thing with notepads if your plant is wet at all then you end up getting your notepad all wet again the lids to the styrofoam coolers um you can use because it's you know it's about a inch thick flat piece of uh white styrofoam um you can, uh, for smaller plants, you can literally pick them up and bang them on the paper. Um, I'll see if I've got, um, I know I've got some videos somewhere that maybe I can send you some that you could attach somehow to the podcast. Um, maybe is that something you can do that people could see it? Or maybe I should just post a little video up on Instagram uh, so people can see it. 
Well, I think people should be following you on Instagram. Uh, so you should definitely let people know your Instagram title. But then on the podcast page, I can put up any videos or links too. Okay. All right. We'll get that worked out because it's something that it's good to see how it's done. Um, and so, yeah, if you could ever get to any of my scouting workshops or classes, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's good to see it firsthand because it is, it's kind of hard to just explain. And that's what's really hard with pest management. Just reading stuff online oftentimes isn't enough. You need to be out doing stuff firsthand and, and seeing it to kind of, you know, make it work. So take me through the process. After we've knocked the insects onto the whiteboard, the bang board, and we can see them there, you're then taking that and taking it into another room to look closer at the insects. Are you uh, killing the insects so that they can't move like with alcohol or anything? Um, is there a process for that? And then when I go to take that picture to send it to an expert, what, what do I want to make sure is included in that photo? Okay, so when I'm doing it, only because I'm old and crusty and been doing this for a long time, I can pretty much tell really fast what they are. Just again, it just comes with experience, and it's something that as growers do this more, they'll get better. You know, it's easy to see thrips because they're you know more cigar shaped um, when they're running on the board, um, and oftentimes we do do crush them just because we don't want them going back onto the plants. Um, but oftentimes too, if you're using biocontrol agents, your predatory mites can fall out. Um, aureus, the minute pirate bug, will often find immature aureus falling out, and obviously those you don't want to kill, and actually you want to kind of shake those back into the plant if you need to collect specimens to get them id'd what you need to do is have what's called an aspirator and you can buy those from bioquip i think they're about ten dollars and it's basically like a mini bug vacuum and what you do um is you basically can, you put one end of the tube in your mouth and you, you suck, but there's a filter in there so you won't suck up the bugs, but it sucks the bugs or mites or whatever into a vial. And so cause if you try to pick thrips ups and mites up, you're going to damage them and crush them. This way they get sucked into the vial, then you can put alcohol in there, then you can snap a lid on, and then you can send it off to get it identified. And once these insects and mites are off the plant material, you can ship dead insects and alcohol to anybody across state lines to get them identified. What you can't do is pluck a leaf and then ship the plant material across state lines with the insects on them. And so this is a way you can get your stuff identified um, that's legal. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So one of the things you mentioned is that things like uh, broad mites or hemp mites, you won't necessarily be able to see them. Are those ending up on that bang board like should we have a spray bottle with alcohol in it for example to kill anything that we can't see that may still be on there or what's the protocol around that yeah uh, i don't know if i mean if you've got broad mites or hemp russet mites killing 10 of them's not gonna you know not gonna make that much of a difference um i i wouldn't be too worried about it now, if you are suspecting that a plant does have, you know, broad mite or hemp russet mite and you use your hand because you use your hand to bang the plant, um, or even if you see spider mites, before you go to other houses or other plants, I would probably wash my hand off 
because your hand's going to be touching the plant, and we know that these very small mites, you know, since they're spread on even the legs of insects, they're spread on birds' feet, they're spread very easily, your hand could be act as the vector to spread these around. So um, you could wear a latex glove if you wanted, um, or you could just wash your hands between. Um, but just, you know, think about that. You've you got to think about, am I spreading my problems around a greenhouse? And a lot of times I'm finding it, people are doing it to themselves um, by just, you know, they're trying to treat in one area, then they spread it to another. And, you know, having, you know, wearing lab coats and booties that, you know, we're not doing this to just look like nerds. You know, you do this to stop the spread of, of these uh, problems. And I tell you, the hemp russet mite and broad mites are a pretty serious issue, and people just keep spreading them. And having, you know, just think about sanitation all the time because a lot of these issues can be stopped through good sanitation practices. So, yeah, my thought was that bang board might be a source of contamination if we Well, but you would have to rub Yeah, but you'd have to rub the bang board back up onto the plant. And you're not because the bang board's not necessarily always touching the plant. Um because you're you're smacking the plant and knocking things to fall onto it. Um you can't, your hands kind of acting like a hurricane smacking trees and then stuff falls out of it and it falls onto the board. Now at the end of the day, yeah, you could definitely rinse it off before you, you know, you put it in your office or whatever. But we've never uh you know, sprayed or cleaned it between every bang because you're walking down the line and going bang 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 and you you're doing a bunch of it and if you had to stop and spray and then wait for the alcohol to evaporate, you're never going to get anything done. Got it. That makes sense. So, can you take me through a like a traditional morning scouting routine that you would want someone to do? Well, first, when you get in, um, you know, put on your, your, your work clothes um, because, you know, I'm finding that definitely people that have states where it's legal to grow at home, those growers are having a lot more issues in states where they can't because people are bringing pestins from, uh, pestin from their, their own plants at their house. Um, so that's something you have to be well aware of. Um, change into your air quote, you know, work clothes. Um, I'm even, you know, uh, you know, you can do washable scrubs, you can do Tyvek suits, um, you know, the people you do lab coats, there's all different kinds of options. You know, you just have to look at what works best for your facility. Um, and then again, start in your cleanest room and work your way through to the in, to the dirtiest. And you know, if you go into the dirtiest room and you have to go back to the clean room, um, you know, it, it's best if you can change your lab coat or change your clothes or change something because you don't want to take the pest back in. And ideally, you know, your propagation area should be your cleanest. I'm finding that's not necessarily true, um, and because of that. People have a lot of pests and propagation, and then they just keeps it, it keeps moving with the plants all the way through the plant's life, and uh, the 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 problems are spreading. So again, ideally, you'd want to start in the cleanest room. You have your hand lens, you have a notebook, uh, you have you know your camera which is on your phone, uh, you have your bang board, you have some vials, you have some bags. And then you go out, and one thing I do suggest is that you don't walk the same pattern. Um, each time because you do see different things from different angles and depending on the size and you know there's a lot of variables on how we come up with you know how many plants are you going to sample um, 
you, you, you do that. And you also, and I've had to do a lot of um, firmly pushing on growers lately. You need to use sticky cards and you can't leave them up for three months and you don't need to be paying a dollar a sticky card. That's crazy expensive. Um, I, I, I don't know why the cannabis industry is just not wanting to adopt this really easy method to know what pests you have, or that you have out there. I'm seeing a lot more thrips in cannabis. That's been the biggest thing the last month or so. And if growers had sticky cards up, they would know that they had thrips in there probably before they started seeing damage and could mount an attack. Um, also, leaving them up for months and months and months, that doesn't do any good. If we're talking about monitoring sticky cards, they have to be changed every week. So when you come into work on Monday morning, whoever's doing your scouting or management, the first thing is to go to the sticky cards. They should always be dated, and then they can go by, look at the sticky cards, see what they're finding. If they start to see a few thrips, you know, all right, we need to, you know, mount an attack then on thrips before uh, they get out of control. And what's very interesting is thrips damage on ornamentals and vegetables is very different than the damage we see on thrips on cannabis. It looks different. So looking at some of the damage images online, you have to be very careful about. Um, and I think sometimes people are mistaking um, spider mite dam uh, thrips damage for spider mite damage because they can look kind of similar, but that's where banging them and seeing what falls in on the leaves, looking what's on your sticky cards will give you a clue to what's really going on out there. But you need to change your sticky cards every week. Um, I'll tell you right now, and this is not, you know, I get no money and no kickbacks, but companies like Beneficial Insectary, they have really good dry sticky cards, which are the kind of sticky cards that growers need. You don't need the really wet, gloppy ones um, because those are for more for trapping larger beetles and things. You're looking to trap, you know, fungus gnats and shore flies and thrips and other small flying insects. Um, uh, again, BioBest, I'm sorry, Beneficial Insectary has great ones. Uh, BioBest has some great cards. Um, they, and they come in an array of sizes. They also offer sticky rolls, and they can really help guide you on what size of cards you need for what you're doing. Um, you know, nothing against Amazon because let me tell you, I'm on Amazon every two to three days buying stuff, but the cards people are buying on Amazon are not the right cards, and they're paying too much money for them. I had a little ranty post on my Instagram because when I'm – at grow facilities, I like to see the price people are paying for things. And again, I, I have a heart attack seeing what the cannabis guys are paying in comparison to what the ornamental guys are paying. And yes, when you buy a pack of sticky cards from Beneficial Insectary, you know, there's 50 cards in there, you're going to use them if you're changing them every week. And also, cards don't expire. You know, that pack can, you know, last you a year or two, and they don't go bad. It's not a disposable item necessarily. And it's it's much better to have them and use them. So that should be part of that routine on Monday morning when you get in. And then you need to record what you see. You've got to keep records. And it seems like it's a pain in the butt, but let me tell you, after you do it over and over, you start to see patterns and you can forecast 
things that potentially could happen with your crop. You'll start to see, well, this time every year we get an influx of this pest. So a month beforehand, let's start getting ready for this pest problem. Uh, there, there's a reason why we focus so hard in this in agriculture, because at the end of the day, it helps save money and we can head off a lot of pest issues before they get started. So when you go in, you're going to check your cards, you're going to write down what you see, you're going to have your bang boards, you're going to walk around, you're going to knock on numerous places, um, and you're going to write down what you find. And it's best to, you know, if you can put it like into an Excel spreadsheet, um, and then it's something that you can share with other people in the facility, so then you can uh, have good communication because somebody may not know you're having an outbreak of thrips in, you know, house or room B and go in there and then accidentally go into your propagation area afterwards and spread the problem. So it's really important to have really good communication skills and have that information of what pests are where um, to let everybody know in your facility know, you know, you don't want to hide pest issues with your coworkers. You need to let everybody know so the problem can be stopped. Um, uh, through there, and, and those over all these years of doing it, the, the the facilities I've worked with that have really good pest management communication and record keeping, we we just have the best pest management programs. So when you talk about sticky cards, you're using them for monitoring. Now I know some people are using them to trap like adult fungus gnats and things like that, uh, or the sticky tape. Are, are there sort of different purposes for different cards, or do you not even like to use? Uh, sticky tape at all in facilities? So there, that, that's, an, that's an excellent question, Tad. Um, <laughs> so there's sticky cards that I've just been talking about are for monitoring. That's why you change them every week. Because if a card's like two weeks old and we find fungus gnats, you may not even have fungus gnats anymore because the adults only live a week. And those might have been the adults from, you know, 10, 14 days ago. So Sticky ribbons and the very large cards, those are used for what we call mass trapping. And those are not, the, you know, the little four by six cards. You don't do mass trapping with the small ones. Mass trapping is done with large ribbons and larger cards. And those we leave up for months and months because we're not using those to monitor what pests are there or how many are there. We're just, you know, it's like a vacuum cleaner. They're going to be drawn to it and just stuck to it, and it's a way to just attract and kill pests. So there's a very distinct difference. And, again, the, the small cards are monitoring cards, um, and the mass trapping uh, things are more the ribbons or the much larger cards. Um, for using the sticky ribbon, it, it all depends on how your facility is set up. Some people have uh, great ways to put them up. Other people don't. You don't want to get them too near the crop because if you get your plants stuck in them, you'll never get them out. Um, if it's somewhere near head height, speaking from personal experience, you don't want to, you know, lean your head into it um, because those sticky ribbons are, are pretty sticky. So you have to assess your facility and see if, even if you have the right setup to use them. Um, so, it, again, that's why working with somebody that knows about that stuff can say, this is a good location, this is not necessarily a good location. Um, and after you get your head stuck in sticky ribbons a few times, you, you do learn. Oh, I've done it. I don't even have much hair, but uh, I've definitely gotten those cards stuck on my, stuck on my head, and it's, it's gross. It takes a while yeah. to get rid of it. And yeah, it does. And, and that's things... why. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, one of the things you mentioned was location. And so if we're putting up monitoring cards, can you uh, talk a little bit about where we want those cards to be located in the facility or in the canopy even? So 
Um, it can depend on what pest you're really targeting and depends, again, on how your actual facility is set up. But generally, I always like to have monitoring cards near the doors because that's usually the entry point of pests, especially since I'm seeing so many growing facilities without vestibules or proper, um, you know, ways to stop pests from the outside from getting in. Um, so by the doors is always very good. If you're more concerned about fungus gnats, you definitely um, want to keep them lower to the soil line because fungus gnats tend to be down there. If thrips are an issue, they're better to be just up above the plant canopy. Um, that's a good location for them. So, um, again, this is why, you know, it's – it's very general information I'm giving you, and that's why having somebody that's worked with the stuff to help set up where you need to put what, you know, can, can really help. And, you know, there's several people out there that, that can do it, but I, you know, you know I have issue with, you know, some people out there promoting themselves as pest management people, which just don't have the experience to do it. So just make sure the person you're dealing with is knowledgeable on the situation and um, has had experience with it. Um, you know, people like Kelly Vance and Paul Cool both have been commercial growers for years before they went to go work for biocontrol companies. So they know, I mean, they put sticky cards out themselves. They've counted them. They know how to place them. You know, so there are people that do have really good experience with this kind of stuff. But um, doorways, uh, areas that are more problem-prone, um, and uh, definitely propagation, for sure, because that's often where you see uh, fungus gnats starting um, because they tend to be a little moister in the soil there. Um, and, again, all the way up to finished crops. And so with, with canopy, cannabis, since it's so tall, we are putting some down low on the soil line and some above the canopy. Um, and, again, depending on how you're set up, you know, is it something you can attach to a stake? Do you need to put them on a pole? You know, are you hanging them? There's all these different variables uh, depending on how you're actually growing, depending on how we position and how we actually put them out. Well, that's good. I think we covered that pretty well. I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit more about what you've been seeing uh, as you've been going out to the facilities, like what types of insects in particular you've been dealing with over the past year? Okay. Um, well, interesting, like I, as I mentioned, as of late, we're seeing a lot of thrips and um, different uh, flower thrip species out there. I know some people have been really great in collecting thrips for me because we're still trying to figure out, you know, all the thrip species we're seeing. Um, it's really hard to identify thrips from their immature life stage. So really we need the adults, um, which can be also difficult in itself. Um, but thrips are definitely something I think that people are so fixated on broad mite right now um, and root aphids that the thrips numbers are definitely coming up. Um, so that's something to definitely keep an eye out for. But the good thing about thrips is the adults do fly. If you do have sticky cards out, and you don't need to buy the expensive blue ones for thrips. Yellow works just fine um, on the sticky cards for trapping thrips. Um, and they're very tiny, though, so you have to make sure you know what thrips on sticky cards look like. Um, but you can detect them very easily um, uh, on the sticky cards to, before they start becoming a real issue. And, you know, we've been discussing, so you have a little feeding damage here, a little feeding damage there. You know, is that really going to impact your harvest? 
Probably not. Do you need to come in, you know, with the big guns and nuclear facility? Probably not. You just don't want the THRIPS numbers to get out of control um, because THRIPS are, you know, pretty prevalent in the environment. Um, and plants can, you know, again, live with some feeding damage. Um, but you just don't want them to get out of control. But also THRIPS are known in especially the vegetable industry for vectoring virus. Um, we honestly don't know yet in cannabis, uh, you know, all the viruses that are out there for cannabis and if thrips are vectoring them or not. We just don't know yet. So it's best just to try to keep them in check. Um, I think that that's a, a, a wise thing to do. Um, and to do that, you got to detect them early and uh, take them out early. And then probably the next thing um, I've been getting a lot of emails on are root aphids, which you guys are spreading the root aphid amongst yourselves. Um, I think that when people are getting cuttings in, and we, you know, I think we discussed this thoroughly on your other podcast. We were talking about dipping because with the root aphids, since they do live on the roots, um, people think if they get in cuttings, they're not going to get root aphid. But what I'm seeing happening is when those root aphids get to a high population, they start climbing up the plant, and then the alate or the winged form is on the foliage. And if you take a cutting and it goes to somebody else and that one adult aphid is on there, the female, then she can start a whole new colony because, you know, these are not coming in by numbers from the outside. Even though the particular aphid we're seeing at this point, um, it, it can be a pest in other crops uh, like rice and some ornamental plants. But I'm not seeing high numbers in, in uh, the ornamental crops of this. I have seen it, um, but it's not a huge problem. So it, it's just getting spread around through the industry on its own. Um, so that's why, again, sanitation and proper protocol on dealing with incoming plants is really critical because the, 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 the root aphid, the hemp russet mite, again, you're bringing it in on plant material completely. Um, hemp russet mites are still a big issue, definitely still seeing them around, but I think everybody is getting settled into programs, at least the people I'm working with, where we can get them down to, you know, such a low level that, yeah, there's a few here and there, but we're not suffering yield loss at the end because you're not going to be able to eradicate them unless you, you know, completely shut down, scrub everything down, and then find clean plant material, which is a challenge because I've, I've seen plants that are, you know, young plants being sold and they have hemp russet mite. Um, and so it's, it's um, very challenging um, to, to, to keep it from coming in. Um, and growers have to understand that eradication is, is not going to happen. That, that's not even a term we use anymore in pest management. It's keeping it below the economic threshold, keeping the pest number so low that we don't suffer any economic loss from it. So... So you mentioned you mentioned thrips, you mentioned root aphids, hemp russet mite, broad mites. Uh, what insects are we bringing in? Um, I guess from the outside, what do we need to worry about from the outside environment? Uh, things like spider mites, for example. Whereas certain things are like broad, like not broad mites, but uh, hemp russet mites. You mentioned are only spread on plant material from cuttings. So what, what things are environmental in terms of just our outside atmosphere? We might be bringing it in from our, you know, from our outside garden or just from walking around uh, versus things that are being spread specifically on cannabis plants. 
So what is just, you know, everyday kind of pest, definitely two-spot spider mite. That's something that, I mean, I have it in, in my yard right now, which I'm pretty excited about because I need some um, because I've been on this videography filming binge lately. And so I will say for those of you that are coming, I'm teaching a workshop next month in Charlotte, North Carolina for biocontrol for plant propagators. Um, and we're actually going to go to out to Metrolina greenhouses. It's a 180-acre greenhouse. And we're going to show you how we do biocontrol releases there, show about nematode applications. It's going to be a really good hands-on workshop. But then there are going to be lectures on the Tuesday and Wednesday. You guys are going to be wowed and dazzled and thrilled at all this new video footage I've shot of um, – of I've got footage of, you know, uh, like Swirsky feeding on Western flower tips, uh, Cucumeris feeding on Western flower tips. I actually got footage, and I'd never even seen it in my life before, and I was so excited. I ran in and woke William up at like 3 in the morning to tell him, and I got the, that's nice, dear. But I got footage of a Western flower thrift actually hatching out of a leaf, and most people will never see it in their life, but I'm going to be able to show those videos at this workshop, back to my point, I need spider mites to be able to, you know, show the predatory mites feeding on spider mites. And I just went out to my yard and on my milkweeds, I have two spot spider mites just right in my yard right there. So that is something that is really um, what we call a cosmopolitan pest. If we went down to any retail garden center, we could probably find it. Um, it it's just around. So that's something that's very easily um, can easily get into your facility. I do think the commercial cannabis growers, they're on top of the spider mite problems um, because that is something they can recognize early on. It, it's bigger. The damage is pretty obvious. Um, and there's so many different predatory mite options depending on how you're growing to use. And the growers I'm working with, a lot of them are just doing a preventative program because if, if you look at a preventative spider mite program and using something, and again, this depends on where you are in the country and how you grow, but like Persimilis, you're talking about every two weeks, it's less than a penny a square foot for a pre preventative program. And so the prevention costs are so low that it's definitely worth doing. Um, so, um, but that, that's spider mites, that's very out there. Now broad mite, I do believe broad mite is being spread through cannabis cuttings, but broad mite is also a pest in ornamentals and it's a pest in vegetables. So again, it's somewhat cosmopolitan, but the broad mite I don't find in the landscape so much, but definitely at commercial growing facilities for, again, ornamental hanging baskets, people that produce uh, pepper, uh, young pepper plants, that we can find the broad mites there. And we are definitely finding them in um, cannabis. So they could be coming on cuttings or if you go to somebody's garden center in the morning or out in a pepper field and then go to work, there's a chance you could spread them that way. And vice versa, where you could pick broad mite up at work off of cannabis and bring it home to your ornamental plants. Um, and, you know, with broad mite, it's so tiny. You know, it's, it's, it's tiny like the uh, hemp russet mite is. Um, you have to, uh, you know, you usually see the damage before you really realize you have them, and then you have very high numbers. Luckily, um, a lot of commercial growers are using cucumeris, the predatory mite, and cucumeris um, will feed on the flower thrips. They're 
first instar, um, but also feeds on broadmite, and it also snacks, not controls, but will snack on uh, two-spot spider mites. So using a cucumeris program, like a base for of that, is a, a really good way to go. They're inexpensive to use. Um, Beneficial Insectary is producing them right in California. Um, there's also, you know, other good suppliers like BioBest, um, uh, BioLine. Um, so, you know, there's there's other options to get them from too. Now, one of the things that you mentioned was uh, pepper plants having broad mites, and that got me thinking about how uh, a lot of growers that are, are doing um, living mulches that I hear about, and I worry about that as a potential vector for some of these pests. Is that really a concern with a lot of these cover crops or other crops that they may have in the facility? Are you, are you, have you seen any facilities like this? Well, um, I haven't seen many cannabis growers that are doing that because usually um, the cannabis growers that I'm working in are a bit larger facilities and they're doing more containerized plant material um, and not so much the living soil as much because the scale of the facilities I'm often dealing with don't lend itself to that kind of growing. Um, but that said, you know, we've had lots of years of experience with using, you know, these nectary plants um, in ag and ornamentals and everything. And you better know what plants you're putting in there because I, I've seen people make mistakes and turns out that the plants they're using are harboring a lot of the pests and the pests are reproducing on those plants. And so that's why you better be very careful. Um, you know, marigolds are one that I just cringe at people using because those are very prone um, to having spider mite issues. They're very prone to having thrips issues. They're a very buggy plant because when we grow them for you know the 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 homeowner market, they they have to get treated a lot because they do have a lot of insect and mite issues. So that's why we're very selective on the plants we're using, like with our banker plant programs, um, and we are sticking with specific ornamental peppers. But we also treat those peppers with our beneficials. Um, so that, you know, when you're applying your aureus and cucumeris, not only does your crop get it, the, the, those plants would get an application too, uh, in the growing situation you're talking about is, or they should be doing it. Um, because peppers, I think are something, and again, this will be a whole nother podcast we'll have to do, um, talking about using peppers, um, banker plants for cannabis production, because I think there's a lot of potential there. And, um, Actually, there is a greenhouse facility in uh, New York State, Dickman Farms. They're getting ready to go into some serious production of ornamental pepper plants grown with biocontrol agents so that when cannabis people want to move into doing this, that they can contact Dickman, get these plants. They won't have pesticide residue on them. And they can't advertise that they've been raised with beneficials because you can't ship insects across state lines without having permits. But know that these plants have been grown using the beneficials on them, wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, and that so you'll be able to move them into your facility and then it will provide a good resource for uh, Aureus, the minute pirate bug. Yeah, I actually ordered some seeds and grew out the uh, purple flash pepper 
in our mm-hmm. greenhouse this year. We didn't bring in any beneficial insects just because we didn't have um, much of a budget for it. And I just was curious if any would naturalize. So I need to actually go back and see if we uh, did get anything on there. But all things aside, they're just they're beautiful plants. I mean, for me, that aspect of our business is it's really just a, a you pick for the community. So it's not a high value crop for me. Um, or, or part of my revenue. If it was, I would definitely put more time and energy into um, maintaining it. Well, and, 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 and there's a big difference between growing outside and growing indoors. So if you're outside, you don't necessarily nas- necessarily need to inoculate them. Um, if you come again to this, this uh, workshop I'm doing next month, um, they're at... Uh, Metrolina, one of the Mumfields is 20 acres, and I think there's another one that's like 16 acres. We do put out a lot of these insectary plants, but we have pre-inoculated some of them with beneficials, but then the other plants do attract in native beneficials because this is being done outdoors. Now, the plants that we use strictly inside, we do have to inoculate with the beneficials because you can't get the numbers of beneficials coming in from the outside. And, you know, there was a a really good learning moment. Um, Like I said, I I was in Colorado working just recently. Um, I actually got back yesterday. And uh, I went to lunch with the growers and as we were walking back to the car, they had some planters in the city, and they were filled with alyssum. And then they also had petunias and some other plants in there. And I had them stop and look. And if you looked at the alyssum, the alyssum was just just tons of insects were on it, buzzing around. There were beneficials. There were pollinators. There were all kinds of stuff. There was nothing on the petunias and the other plants. And it just shows you that if you plant the right plants, and this is for outdoors, you can attract beneficials in. But, again, you don't want to plant things that are going to be a big magnet for pests, though. So you do have to be careful in your plant selection. You have to look at, you know, what your environment is, what your key pests are. And that's how we put all these programs together. You're not going to find one solution that works for everybody. And, you know, pest management really today has to be pretty um, customized for, depending on how you're growing, what you're growing, who you're growing for, you know, all these different variables. Also, what's your budget? How much time do you have? Because a lot of my growers, they don't have time to do banker plant systems or nectary plants or mess with that. So they'll just rather buy beneficials every two weeks and dump them out. Other people have the time and are on a tighter budget, and they'd rather try to, you know, encourage some of their native, their own beneficials. But you really have to know what you're doing because you have to make sure you're not breeding pests. Yeah, and one thing you mentioned there uh, earlier on was about applications and propagation. And I know I've heard you mention to me before that one of your issues with some of the other recommendations you're seeing from um, people that are going around as bug consultants is that they're they're doing too heavy of applications too late in the plant's life. And it's really important to get started right away with that cutting um, to really establish those beneficial insects and keep the, the pathogen or pest populations down early on. Is that pretty accurate? Oh, my God, I want to stick a gold star on your shirt right now for, like... <laughs> I listen yes, when you talk, I mean... <laughs> it seems like, I mean, 
I mean, I don't know everything, and I'm still learning every day too, um, but that is one of the most important things. You've got to start clean. I, I don't understand this, we'll deal with it later mentality, because all that's going to happen is your numbers are going to get worse, and the cost of doing a bio program and propagation when the plants are tiny and close together, it's so inexpensive comparatively to try to come in and flower and clean up an epidemic problem. And that's something we're really going to focus on at this workshop, um, which, by the way, it's, it's called the Plug and Cutting Conference. Um, it's a very a quaint meeting. It's not super big, but it, it, it is, and it's not just for pest management. It's, it's the whole meeting talks about a lot of propagation stuff, and there's a mini trade show with it. Um, but um, my focus there is to, yes, beat you propagators up or people that are propagating young plants on more so how to use bios and propagation. And, again, Metrolina you know, if you've, you've got a greenhouse facility that's 180 acres and they're using biocontrol in their propagation, if you can do it on that scale, anybody can do it. And I'm actually going to have the employees that actually, when they come to work, they actually put out the bugs. I'm actually going to have them there doing it. So you see how they actually do it. But then we're also going to talk about you know, other different situations, you know, storage, and then there's going to be a tour. We're going to go out and see the mum fields where we're doing the banker plants. Um, I, I think it's going to be a good educational opportunity uh, for, for people. And they only run this meeting every few years. So, um, and as a side note, some really good plant pathologists will be there, like Dr. Chris Hayes, who he's a good close personal friend, but he is an awesome plant pathologist. And if you want to talk disease, for biological disease management, that's your guy. That sounds great. I will put up a link on the podcast page to the conference so people can uh, sign up and check it out if they're interested. Yeah. And also, well, since I, I mean, I generally don't like to do self plugs, but it seems like this show I'm doing them. I'm also doing another one. Oh, I'm going to have to look at the date, but it's the Biocontrol East Conference, and that's going to be up in Rochester, New York. And on the Friday of the show, I'm doing a four-hour insect ID class, which if you missed it at Cultivate, um, which, by the way, I had a lot of cannabis growers come, and I was so excited to see them that are really getting into the insect ID. We're basically going to be doing uh, the very similar thing at uh, the Biocontrol East meeting up in uh, New York, where you're going to get four hours of pretty intensive uh, insect and mite ID, which applies to ornamentals, vegetables, and cannabis, because as we've discussed, there's a lot of crossover pests, and I do have uh, some of the cannabis-specific pests included, but we're also putting together like a, a booklet to take home with you from that meeting, um, from that class, that will basically be a pretty good uh, insect ID booklet for you. Oh, that's great. I went to the Biocontrols West one, as you, as you may recall, and uh, I really enjoyed getting to hear some of the speakers and also the, the course you taught relating to insects and, and cannabis. So it's, it's definitely a great opportunity if you're close by and can check it out. Yes. So, and by the way, back to backtrack a little bit, you were talking about pests. Um, don't forget about your foliar aphids because those species, um, and, and we are seeing uh, several different foliar aphid species out there. Um, that's something that you don't necessarily always pick up on sticky cards because, again, sticky cards are more for flying insects. And if you've got flying foliar aphids and you've got a really high population somewhere in your facility or 
you're open to the outside and flying aphids from the outdoors have come into your facility. We see that sometimes. And those winged aphids may not even be a species that can survive on your crop, but um, you've got them trapped on the cards. And so that way you can, you know, look to see if this is an issue or not. But we are definitely seeing foliar aphid problems. Um, uh, You've got to have a pretty high number of them before they really cause an issue, but you don't want them to get out of control. Luckily, there's, you know, we have several different commercial parasites. There's, you know, predators like lacewings, which you've seen doing a really good job, and those are inexpensive to use. Um, and, you know, even just hosing them down with water, you can knock a lot of them off your plants. So just, yeah, we are seeing foliar aphids in, in several different species, so keep an eye out for those. Yeah, I just want to remind listeners that it's so important to start with identification. And that's something that you've taught me because I I still talk to growers and they're they're talking to me about all these different uh, pesticide applications that they, they start immediately the moment they uh, notice an insect pest. And a lot of times I, I try and get them to backtrack and make sure that they actually have a positive identification because the treatment for broad mites versus aphids versus thrips can vary quite a bit. And uh, if we're going to throw money at a problem or potentially stress the plant through a pesticide application, we want to make sure that we're doing the right one to deal with the problem. So that is something I just want to. Exactly. You you just got a second gold star, Tad. (laughs) I'm learning. You know, this this is important. This is the time of year here in Washington where we start seeing aphids on our vegetables. So I just went out and pulled some kale that I fed to my chickens because it had aphids on it. That was my way of, of com- combating it. But uh, this is the time of year when we start seeing powdery mildew, when we start seeing aphids, uh, and, and certain sort of insects, like you mentioned, that uh, tend to be more seasonal with certain crops. And since I'm not growing cannabis, I, I notice it on my vegetable crops. But I do know that the same thing is happening in cannabis towards the end of the season. The plant's starting to senesce. It's finishing up its flowering. And you're going to see uh, higher levels of some of these insects. Yes. Yeah, oh, oh, for sure. But, and this is where, you know, like with your kale, most likely you had on there what's sometimes referred to as the crucifer aphid. They tend to be a little gray and are fuzzier, uh, almost like they've got a dusting on them. Is that, yeah. See that, I, I in my life, and I highly doubt it would ever move into cannabis. So if you did have your kale next to your cannabis greenhouse, eh, I wouldn't worry about it. But if you were growing, you know, let's say mums, and you saw a green peach aphid on that, I would be concerned because we know that can move into cannabis. So you got to know what you have. And God, please stop, you know, depending on the internet gods to identify your problems because I just see such bad ID because there's so many armchair quarterbacks in the cannabis industry that sit behind the computers and say it's this, 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 and it's not the problem. And I'm done getting into fights with these people on the internet. I'm just done, you know, going to these groups because I just get attacked oftentimes. Um, and, and I'm done with trying to help that way. But again, many of you know, you've reached out to me through like Instagram or texted me or, you know, numerous other outlets. I try to help everybody I can, but Suzanne only has so many hours in the day and I'm working seven days a week right now. So um, be patient with me um, if I don't get back to you immediately. Well, great. Well, I appreciate you covering more of the the issues around scouting and some of the insects that you're seeing now that you've been working in cannabis for another year. Uh, Is there anything else you wanted to chat about before we sign off? Um, Just there are um, some 
scouting apps. Um, there's actually one that's getting better, um, and it's it's from Cornell, and it's the 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 greenhouse scout app. Now they've had some issues now because of all the new cookies and security issues, so I don't think it's available right now. Um, but and it's, again, it's not focused for cannabis, but it's a good general overall with some of the the basic pests, the beneficials. They actually. Some pesticide compatibility information in there, um, and it's one of these ever-evolving um, apps that Cornell keeps adding to. And being that it's from a university, you know they're very focused on being scientifically accurate and everything. But you you can go in and you know if you look up you know a, a pest, then it can give you some of the key beneficials that are being used for it. Um, they also have some. Um, where you can do tracking of populations in it, and you can actually print reports from it. And you know, for ten bucks, you, you can. There's a lot of good information um, from that. And again, it's it's ever improving um, out there. Um, and that project again is it's a it's a Cornell University project, but Dr. Elizabeth Lamb um, is who's been working on that. Um, and again, when I talked to her, like. Eh, Two or three weeks ago, again, they were still trying to get worked out with Google um, about getting it back for sale because of the security stuff. And it's not that there was a problem with their app. It's, if you've noticed, every website and every everything, you've got to agree to this, these new messages about cookies and stuff. They just are working on getting that worked out there. So, you know, that can be another important tool. And if I come visit your greenhouse and you don't have sticky cards, I'm going to poke you in the eye. I, I just – You've got to have those sticky cards up because they can be such a great resource. Great. Well, I'll, I'll definitely put a link to that app as well for people so they can at least uh, monitor it and see when it becomes available again. And I just want to thank you for your time again today and sharing with our audience. I always learn something new every time I talk to you, so uh, I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to get this information out um, because, again, I'm I'm – Working in multiple industries, um, you know, the workload's been pretty intense, and I'm trying to help everybody I can. And I think sometimes if I can educate the masses a little bit more, um, then it might cut down on some of the other, you know, after-hours communications, which, again, I don't mind helping people. Um, but it's just, you know, it gets a little overwhelming at times because I do want to be able to help people. And I'll get you those links of um, – my upcoming talks. I, I do keep a list on my website. My website's Bug Lady Consulting. If you go to the homepage, and please don't criticize me for my website. I am not a web developer. I'm happy I have what I have. But if you go there, there's a little button, and it's like, where's the Bug Lady? Or it might be upcoming talks. I can't remember. You go there. I have a list of any of the um, upcoming um, sessions that I'm going to be speaking at and usually have links to, to the actual conferences and meetings um, for that. So, um, and then I'll also get you those links to TAD because I do think that both those opportunities, the plug and cuttings and then the biocontrol lease, there's going to be some um, real good information. And actually, too, for your BC listeners, I'm actually coming up to speak in uh, British Columbia um, this fall also at a greenhouse conference. So I'll be up there, too. Cool. I will put all that up. And... Uh... Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Dad. Have a good afternoon. That was entomologist Suzanne Wainwright-Evans, also known as the Bug Lady. Her website is www.bugladyconsulting.com. 
I've posted the links and information we discussed in this podcast right on the podcast page at www.kisorganics.com. Just click on the podcast menu on the top of the home screen. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter on our website right on the homepage and subscribe on your favorite listening platform so you can stay up to date with all the latest information and podcasts right as they come out. You are listening to the Cannabis Cultivation and Science Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Hussey. Thanks for listening.